Welcome to To Know the Love of Christ. Welcome back. Uh, If you listened before, you know that last episode, we were in Mark 13, verses 28, all the way to chapter 14, verse 2. And here Jesus goes through a parable, a lesson of the fig tree. And he is, in that short passage, 28 through 31, he's discussing the destruction of Jerusalem. And he also uses another parable of sorts in verses 34 through 36 of a man charging his servants to stay awake. And in that passage, he's talking about the second coming. And we discussed how some people get that a little confused, but how we can know based on the context which is which and the different lessons that we can glean from that. And of course, we found the love of Christ. So if you will, go ahead and pause here and read Chapter 14, verses 3 through 31, since we don't have time to read every single verse. And then whenever you're ready, go ahead and jump back in with us as we go through the study. All right, so we just ended last episode with the chief priests and the scribes seeking to stealthily killing, <laughs> stealthily kill <laughs> Jesus um, for fear of the people and the riots. And I think I mentioned people being trampled later on. Um, Josephus records that. So it was a very real possibility, you know, for them, it was dangerous. And we saw that in other passages where they discussed, you know, like we can't answer him this way because people really revered John, but we can't say the other way because we'll be in trouble there too. So that wasn't a new thing for them, but we're going to jump right into his anointing at Bethany. And of course we know Bethany was around Jerusalem. It was kind of an outer village and, It discusses here that he was in the house of Simon the leper, and a woman came and poured an an expensive ointment on him. And so from what I found, it says in verse 3 in the ESV, it says she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And so I didn't know this, but in order to preserve things, they had to keep them inside specific receptacles, kind of like we do, you know. We have certain things that can't be stored a certain way or they'll go bad. You want something that's airtight. And so they would store this expensive ointment so that once it was broken, it had to be used all in one go. It wasn't like they could preserve it again. And I didn't know that. And so I found that interesting. Um, And so to them, it would be wasteful because there was no going back. There was no selling it. Once it's opened, it's a one-time use. Um. And so that's important to note there. But as we get into the rest of that passage, we see that, you know, some of the followers scolded her. But Jesus, of course, being countercultural like he (laughs) is, um, told them to leave her alone and said that she'd done a beautiful thing. But I mean, verse eight gives me goosebumps. I don't know why, but it, it, it has for a long time. It's one of those verses that stands out in my mind. And he says, she has done what she could. And that's such a short little snippet there, but it's so impactful to me. I don't know if it hits you the way it hits me. Maybe I'm weird, but like in my notes, I literally wrote, be still my heart because that's how I feel about that verse or that section of the verse. Um, Jesus doesn't discount people's sacrifices or their gifts to him. And I mean, we know that everything that we can give back, we've been blessed by the Lord to have it. 
But Jesus doesn't discount our sacrifices, no matter how small or how weird they seem or how wasteful it might seem to someone else. And I'm not talking about people getting up and dancing for the Lord in worship. I mean, we do have the ability to judge things based off of what God tells us he wants and doesn't want in certain aspects of the things he asks of us. But I mean, just in a general sense, when, you know, people might, I mean, like, D, you design art and cards and things. And who am I to say, like, oh, you're wasting money on art supplies when you could just go to the Dollar Tree and buy a little tin pack for a dollar? No, you're using what God gave you in service to him. And that's not my job to discount that or to say, well, that's weird or that's wasteful. You know, everything that we can give to God, he appreciates. Now, is there a sense in which we can be bad stewards? Of course, you know, and we're not we're not talking about that. Um, because Jesus didn't say that here. He didn't say, that's right. She's a horrible steward. How dare you pour this on me? Um, another note, weirdly, because I don't want to, I tend to jump around like a squirrel. Um, if you go back up to verse three, it talks about Simon the leper. And we know leprosy was a horrible skin disease. And so you think like, why would he even be with a leper? Mm-hmm. But of course, I had to look in my beloved IVP background <laughs> commentary because it's like my favorite. And so it had a really cool note. So let me grab that really quick. It says that if Simon had been a leper, which we're assuming he was, it says that nicknames usually had some basis, but weren't always meant literally. So like a tall family might have been nicknamed the Goliaths. Oh. That kind of thing. But it says... At this point, he certainly would not have been one because no one would have joined him for dinner if he had been. I mean, even Jesus, when you think about it, Jesus obeyed the law. He was perfect. I mean, he obeyed the law and he was a Jew and he would have been under the law at this point. And for him to associate with a leper would have broken laws. Um, But, I mean, it's very possible, which I say that, hold on, Jesus did associate with people like that when he healed them. Yeah. He touched. The he touched. He touched the leper. So I mean, it could be possible that this man was leprous, but he could have healed him and cured him of leprosy. Um, Therefore, everyone else was able to go into and the be house. in communion with that person. Yes. Right. Um, but just a side note, you know. One thing I noticed yeah. that I was totally blown away by. So it's Simon the leper. They're in this man's house, right? Mm-hmm. Why Simon the leper? Well. If you go to John 12, okay. it's he records this same exact incident, okay, of, of, now he gets specific. He says that it's Mary who breaks the flask and anoints him, Mary mm-hmm. being Martha and Lazarus's sister, okay? Who lived in Bethany. Who lived in Bethany, because that's where Lazarus was raised from the dead. But if you flip the page and go to John 13... Verse 2, it says, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. This was Judas Iscariot's dad's house that they were at. So they were at his betrayer's father's house, the leper. Unclean, unclean, unclean. And it's at this point, because John thirteen three says that the devil put into Judas's heart after supper was ended, that this whole pivotal point happens. So from this 
unclean house from this man with leprosy, Judas Iscariot. So his like his whole history is just nasty. Tainted. It's yeah. just unclean. Which it's when you think so... about that, psychologically speaking, there's something called like self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's kind of this idea that if you think something, you will be it. Does that make sense? Like they've done research where they tell kids going into a class, this is a really hard class and you're just going to do poorly, but we want you to try your best to get a good grade anyway. And they tell another group of kids, you got this. It's a little tough, but you got it. You're mm-hmm. going to, you're going to do great. You're going to ace this. And guess what happens? Yeah, they ace it. They ace it or because of their beliefs about themselves based off of what they were told in that situation. But a lot of times we act how we feel. If we feel, I have a guy I know who says wormy. If we feel wormy, we're going to act wormy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if that affected how Judas behaved. Like I, you know, a lot of people and everybody's personality is different. Some of us, you know, not, yeah, we're going to use that term. I'm just going to do all the things today. Um, <laughs> I used to say I was trailer trash growing up, you know, to start with. And I wasn't like my whole upbringing, but I did definitely start out in the trailer park. And, you know, with God's help, I'm no longer there. And I mean, I mean that in the most basic worldly way as tra- trailer trash, not just like I lived in a trailer. Living in a trailer is perfectly acceptable and fine. Yeah. But I grew up in a really rough kind of life and that's to me that's what that's in the negative connotations. yes in the negative connotations the bad things about it not right. not necessarily that it was a trailer um but i have family members that grew up in that and wanted to stay there and that's how they saw themselves and they defined themselves by that and it you know i wonder looking back now that you say that about him and his past and just everything that surrounds him like if he viewed himself and we know at the end he allowed his sin to divine himself because he killed himself mm-hmm. because he couldn't bear the guilt and so he looked at himself and all he could see was betrayer of christ whereas you know while he is called that you know the but you know also you know you talk about it's self-talk too right it you is know, what and it's on him talk and what you convince yourself yourself of being is whether or not you accept it because right. here he is you know growing up in this this environment that we are assuming that we are strictly assuming that this is how it was that that's how he was going to be but he spent three years with Which a perfect is. human being who you know encouraged him taught him right it, 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 he totally undid his background if he allowed him. Right, if he would have allowed him to do right. it. But we know based off of other texts that he didn't because right. it said that he took right. from the money bag. But I mean, even, we don't have it at this in this account, but Jesus washed his feet. The last yeah. servant act he did and washed his feet. So it was, can you imagine looking at him? Jesus looking at him thinking this is it this is 
And you want to know what? Like, our human mind goes, like, how disgusted would you be? You're sitting there. I mean, it's feet, first of all. Right. Oh. That's what I always um, think. Feet. Ew. If you didn't hear that, that was an imitation <laughs> gag noise, but it wasn't too much of an imitation. Um, but, I mean, just the beauty of Jesus. And that I'm sure, as Judas was washing his feet, Jesus wasn't sitting there defining him like that. You know, I know, like I said, G- Judas... In the end, like that's what he allowed to define him. Mm-hmm. Jesus looks at us and he sees so much more. We're more than our sins. You know, if we allow ourselves to be, you know, Jesus, even even when we don't, like that verse, it says, even when our heart condemns us, yep. God does not. I'm trying to think what verse that is. Okay, so that verse is in 1 John three twenty. It says, for even when our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Yeah, that was my whole thing I learned in this little yeah, group That is text. so interesting. It I did not. very I'd, interesting. I'm sure I've read that and never thought about it being Simon the leper, because in John it doesn't call him Simon the leper. Until 13. No. No, it doesn't, no, it it doesn't call him right. Simon the leper. But in Mark here it says that, and it's all in the same context so we can I mean there's a pretty good bet there that that is exactly who it is um but think about also if you pair it up what oh so most likely I mean because they weren't from this region Jesus wasn't from Bethany no so Judas probably knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus before this (gasps) oh Ooh, maybe so. Weird. Can you imagine that? Like, cool. Oh, just another layer of, I don't want to say depravity, but I mean. Wow. It's not like Bethany was some kind of thriving metropolis, was it? Right. I mean, they most likely would have known each other. Can you imagine how much deeper that would have, like, I mean, you think about it, you were talking about the three years, and I know I've I've considered this myself, like, Jesus was betrayed, but how do you think the disciples felt like the apostles felt like to be in the same region, assuming, this is assuming a lot, but assuming Simon's house, that he was there and he had been there all that time. And we know Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived there. But can you imagine how much deeper the knife would feel knowing him before that? Anyway, sorry, really weird squirrel moment. My brain just went there. You were saying something. (laughs) I was saying, okay, if you pair this up with John 12, because John records this event. So look who all is in attendance here. Okay, so we got Simon the leper. We got Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. We got the 12 apostles. And we got other disciples too, because in John's account, it says that other disciples were curious to see Lazarus. And I was thinking... Okay, so they're in Judas's dad's house, maybe even Judas's childhood home, you know. So Lazarus is there. He was resurrected, right? We have Mary, who's worshiping Jesus at this point. She's anointing his body with this oil. We have Martha, who's busy serving the dinner. And we have curious disciples. We have the apostles watching all this, learning all all this and we have Judas betraying and there's Jesus in the midst of all this and I couldn't help but to think 
You know, we're supposed to be like Christ. Are we like Christ in the midst of all this? Or are we going along with the crazy train? (laughs) I mean, could we identify with any of these other people there? I know I could at some point in my life, (laughs) some hours of the day even. Oh, yeah. You know, and there's Jesus just being perfect, defending the one who's worshiping him. Yeah. And you go on to like verses 10 and 11. And that word then is so small right there. Mm-hmm. But I was just thinking, you know, do you do we identify? And I would say at some point in my life, I would have identified with all of these people. Even Judas. I've betrayed people oh, yeah. in my life and hurt them. Betrayed Jesus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I mean, just physically in my own life with people around me in the world, I've done that. And I look at that and we think like, what could have caused? And I wonder because so we know that Judas disagreed with what he did here. Because when you go to John, it does say his name. He's the one that says it. Right. And so immediately following this, then he goes out in order to betray him. I mean, we know that it says that Satan entered his heart. But I mean, I wonder if at this point, like, what is he thinking? Is it like a... Like, we're so different and our, what we want doesn't line up. I mean, what is he, what is he thinking here? He's, it's know. like you said, unclean. He's corrupt in some way. I would say most people. I do think that's right. Try to rationalize things. And we don't have his rational, rationalization here. If he's normal human being like I think he is, he's rationalizing somehow. Like, oh, he's wasting funds. He's okay with her pouring this expensive ointment on him how arrogant or i mean we don't know that that's what he thought i am really doing a lot of conjecture here but i'm just you know do you know what i'm saying like yeah i'm wondering where in his mind is he playing the self-righteous that's what i'm wondering mm-hmm. once he has been among the 12 we put jesus in, in among this group of 13 people of which he is part and he realizes i don't line up with this crowd i line up with that one over there and so did, I mean, did he really ever believe? Was he ever a true follower? Was he just along for the ride? And he fooled everyone except for Jesus. I mean, no one no one was like, oh, I bet it's Judas. No, no one knew. No one knew. Mm-mm. When we get into these, I mean, we're doing a lot of spoiler alerts. Sorry. Right. Or not alerts, <laughs> a lot of spoilers. Here's your alert. Um, but I mean, you know, what led to that then is what I'm asking. And we don't know. No. My thing is, is... Jesus still chose him, knowing full well all that Judas had planned, or not planned, maybe not planned, what but he was going to do. What he was going to do, yeah. yeah, knowing, and he still chose him, and he still washed his feet, still, and he still had a seat at the table, still hoping. And what does that say to us if we're being like Jesus? Mm, that hurt yeah i know we don't <laughs> we don't hurt. jump ahead and we don't try to read people i mean we we should be discerning we're told later in the new testament to be wise as serpents and as harmless as, as doves <laughs> anyway you were talking about being like jesus and i mean honestly that's who we want to identify with in this oh, passage yeah. we want to be the serenity in the middle of all that's going out on and the person that's a rock, you know, all that good stuff. All right. Now, so, <laughs> go ahead. Another thing about 10 and 11 is that 
in Matthew's account, it gives us that he was paid 30 pieces of silver. You know, that's a, a prophecy from Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only in Matthew, in his account, that it gives the amount that he was, because, you know, if you remember, Matthew is writing to the Jews and prophecies. And what was Matthew? Right. And it, yeah, oh, yeah. He was a tax collector. He's very, you know, that's Which true. is interesting. Why wasn't he in charge of the money? Maybe for obvious reasons. Yeah, maybe it's because he was a tax collector yeah. and they were known to not be. And that's, oh, that's another side note from the lovely IVP. IVP. Which I highly recommend and I feel like they should have an ad, but I can't, I haven't read the whole thing and all of it's cultural stuff. It's not doctrinal stuff. Um, there was a note in the IVP that I read and I can't find it right now, but it talked about how when they trusted someone with money, with the funds, the person that was in charge of the funds was usually very trusted and held in very high esteem. And so for those reading this text back then, that would have been like an even worse betrayal. Like it would have been the last person you would have expected to be the betrayer. So I thought that was hmm. interesting because to me, he was it's just like, oh, that's his role. He right. holds the money bags. Yeah. Well, yeah. 12 through 21. Yes, 12 through 21. So Jesus comes to the Passover feast and he sends two of his disciples and it says that they ask him where, you know, they're kind of like, where are we going to go to do this Passover? Um, And so he tells them to go in the city and there's a man carrying a jar of water and he'll meet you, follow him. And then wherever he enters, you say to the master of that house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And so that they would be in a large upper room and it would be already furnished and prepared for them to prepare the Passover. And so it says that they did just as he told them. Jesus is specific with what he wants and expects it to be done. You know, oh, yeah. Especially if he asks for it to be done, you know, he definitely wants it. And so I thought we could apply that to us too. You know, he, he expects things from us. And because he expects it, you know, because we ask, uh, at least I should say, I ask in prayer, what can I do? You know, how can I glorify you? How, what can, you know, please show me what, what's the best way I could glorify you. So if I'm going to ask, he's going to answer because he says he answers prayers. It may not be how I want to glorify God, you know. I may want it to be, you know, smoothly done and, you know, but it may bring me down some rocky road to glorify him you know not the way i expected but because i asked he's saying okay this is how it's going to be this is what i want do it that makes sense it does yeah and the signs here are clear um from what i could read and i mean when you think back typically men didn't carry the water it was women who carried the water so for him to tell them that a man was carrying would have been an obvious sign because when you think about it it's like that could have been anybody it's true like oh is it just gonna be one guy but it was a man carrying it And so that would have been an obvious sign to them. But also, I hadn't really thought about this, but a second story home would be denoting someone of wealth. Someone would have to be well off to have a second story home. Interesting fact that they would have a large upper room, not just an upper room, but a large upper room. And so this person had room enough to spare Jesus, his upper room, because if it was a Jew, he'd be, which we don't know if it was, but he would be preparing 
Passover downstairs for his family. Yeah. And oftentimes these these houses, these homes would have been filled to the broom with family observing Mm -hmm. the Passover together. American culture is a little different, but I mean, back then, like, it would be like you and your aunts and uncles and your mom and dad and your grandmother and your grandfather, anybody that was living that you were directly related to would have all been together. And so they would have been crammed and packed. And so him and his 12 disciples being there formed a family. But I mean, the fact that it was just them in this upper room, I mean, that is pretty significant that they were able to do that without anybody else around them. Of course, 17 says it was evening and Passover was to be observed in the evening. It says they were reclining at the table and eating and Jesus tells them one of them is going to betray him. And we've already alluded to that multiple times. And it says they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? You know, which kids always do that, you know, and that's they're just like big kids here. Like, is it me? Like me? Really? And like I said, they're like, it's not obvious that it's going to be Judas. And so he goes on to pronounce a woe on the person that it's going to be and says it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And here we have some figurative language. You know, we know this isn't actually Christ's body, but it's symbolic of his body. Take this as my body. And they took a cup and he gave thanks for it. And they drank it, and he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I won't drink of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so here we see a new memorial. We talked about the Passover being a memorial. This is a new memorial that he's instituting at the coming of the kingdom. Um, And he says he won't do it until later. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Meaning his church. His church. We talked yeah. about that before. Yeah. But think about the symbols that are here. Now, this would have been unleavened bread. Because right. it's during the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So he's saying it represents his body. So the unleavened bread did not have yeast, which would have caused bread to go stale um, and just, you know, to get all icky and nasty. Well, yeast itself, so, like, is bacterial, right? It's something, but it grows like yeah, it, and, and it can spoil. Right. So unleavened bread being his body, there's nothing in him or about him that can that's nasty that can get yucky and go stale. You know, and it's the blood of the covenant. Now, in the New King James, it says New Covenant, but in the blood of the covenant, so this is sacrificial blood that it represents. So it's specific because you know if you think about it. It's, remember the lamb, we talked about it last episode about the Passover, the Passover lamb. He was the Passover lamb that I think First Corinthians talks about. Um, but it's shed or poured out, some versions might say. So it's intentional. Like it's mm-hmm. not spilled. I, I hear it in prayer, you know, that you, the blood that was spilled. No, it wasn't spilled. It wasn't an accident. This was an intentional act. It was poured out. It was shed specifically for what he doesn't say here but for the remission of sins for them to for christians his followers to remember and we still do that today we do every week on the first day of the week first day of the week because that's what we find in the new testament (laughs) the example we have all right so wrapping it up in our last passage here verses 26 through 31 
says that they go out to the Mount of Olives after singing a hymn. And Jesus says to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Peter, being Peter, Mm -hmm. says, even though they all fall away, I will not. And then he goes on to tell him, like, listen, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter, being Peter, (laughs) emphatically, ESV says emphatically. What does NKJV say? Vehemently. Yes. So very strongly opposes that. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And so here he is. And he's telling him, like, listen, no, man. And there's signs, like, and later we'll see. That little red flag goes off once the rooster crows the second time. And Mm -hmm. Peter's countenance changes at that point. Um, You know, it is so easy for us to talk the talk sometimes. And here Peter is doing what so many of us do. And that's, of course not. I am like, man, I'm faithful. I am with you to the end. You know, well, think about when you come up out of a water of baptism. Oh, yeah. I'll never deny him. I, he is my Lord. He's my yeah. Savior. And what happens? Right. <laughs> the world gets right. us. And we, we get kind of puffed up by victories. We've talked about that before on this podcast. It's very easy for Satan to attack us after a spiritual high. We don't think that we're vulnerable at that point, which makes us vulnerable because we're riding off the high of a great spiritual victory even if it's tiny but um i think about like first corinthians 10 12 that says you know let the one who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall Mm -hmm. and we have to be very careful and guard against that and we we always know hopefully in the back of our minds that any kind of victory any kind of strength any kind of power all our source is god and all glory should go to god um But, you know, we kind of have a sense of pride about us because we're human, you know, and we struggle with that. And we say, not me, never me. I would never. And that's very strong language. And it's unfortunately not true about us. We would. We have. We do. Vehemently. And so we talked about identifying. Sadly, I identify with Peter here. Me too. A little too often, unfortunately. And that's something that I try to work on. And I'll keep trying to work on until I die. Me too. So, <laughs> all right. So we come down to our important question. Where do we see the love of Christ? I see it in his persistence in teaching. You know, I see it in the institution of what we call the Lord's Supper, you know, in the covenant on the Passover, you know, the feast of the unleavened bread, because he was the Passover lamb. I mean, he's called that First Corinthians 5, 7 and in Acts 8, 32, you know, he is the bread of life without leaven. You know, that's First Corinthians 5, 8 and John 6, 45 through 51. So I see it in his constant teaching and his patience. Yeah, I see it in the institution of the Lord's Supper. You know, being a forgetful person, having mom brain, um, I love that we have something that is set up that is meant for me to stop and slow down and just really focus on that because it is so easy to get distracted. And so that's why I see it. Good. All right. Thank you again for joining us. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to contact us through our email or on social media. Uh, If you want to study with us, we would love to study with you too. If we're not able to, we'll connect you with someone local to you that you could study with. 
And as always, we hope that you will seek to know the love of Christ in your life. Until You can reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram. We would love to hear from you. And be sure to click like and share this episode with family and friends. In doing so, you're sharing the love of Christ. Thank you.